Today's scripture comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 9 through 17. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour the new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. This is God's word. Thank you. Um, I, I played football in high school. I was center on the football team. I weighed like 50 pounds heavier than I do right now. Um, those were good years. And uh, what I discovered about playing football is that I, I, liked, I liked playing on the football team. I didn't really like playing football. Does that make sense? So I really liked the team aspect. I mean, I just loved being on the team. But I, playing football just didn't really fit me. I know that there's tons of really nice, nice people that play football. But for me, I felt like I had to give up some of my sort of like my niceness to like, because you got to kind of get angry in order to knock the snot out of people. You know what I mean? Like there's something, you got to get this anger in you. And I didn't like how that made me feel. So, uh, so I wasn't, you know, I wasn't the, the best football player. But I'll, uh, I'll always remember... Um, uh, I was on the bus one time, the football bus. We're on our way to an away game, and you know everybody's listening to their to their Walkmans. We had Walkmans back then, and we we're listening to our Walkmans, you know, and everybody's sort of listening to their own music, getting pumped up for the game, and uh, and you know, so I'm there chilling, you know, just like listening to my thing, getting pumped up for the game. And then Jason Williams, he was the uh, he was like the toughest guy on the football team, and I'll always remember Jason Williams was kind of like walking up the center aisle, and he was like, "You ready? You guys ready?" You know, and everybody's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And then he looks at me, he's like, "Rice, are you ready?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm ready." And then he's like, "Hey, what you listening to?" And it caught me off guard because I was like, he didn't ask anybody else what they were listening to. I wasn't ready. And the thing is is I was listening to the Cranberries. I was listening, you know, like, I was, I was uh, listening to, like, this, like, you know, it was, like, nice and chill, like, cranberry music. And, uh, but I couldn't tell him I was listening to the Cranberries, right? That would just be, that would be, no, he would think I was a wuss. So I just, like, I, the first thing came to my head, I just thought of, like, the craziest band ever. I was like, I'm listening to Nine Inch Nails. And he was like, and he was like, oh, yeah, it's cool. Keep it up, Rice, you know? And that was like the moment where I realized that, you know, I, I, wear the, I, I wear the uniform, even though I wear the uniform, I don't know if I belong to the football team, you know? Like, I wear the uniform, but I, it was kind of a question of whether I belong. And I know that we all have had that experience in your own life. You're wearing the uniform, but you don't necessarily feel like you belong. And in fact, that feeling of belonging is one of the things that... Um, sort of is one of the, the main things that help us understand who we are. One of the biggest questions that humans have asked is, who am I? What, what, what's the nature of my identity? 
And there's a lot of different ways to answer that question. One of the ways, one of the main ways that we answer that question is what group do I belong to? Where do I belong? What group of people do I belong to? And that's a very, very deep question that all of us are asking, even right now in this room. You know, there's like, you know, do I belong? And there's this thing and there's this aching for us to belong. And the thing is, is Jesus steps onto the scene and Jesus has some answers to that. And Jesus, he steps onto the scene and what we know is that Jesus is walking around preaching and teaching and he's, and he's, and he's making these claims about himself and he's always talking, and he's talking about the kingdom of God sort of coming and in, in a new way. And, uh, and Jesus was trying to answer this deep longing and is trying to help us understand who we are, who we truly are, who we truly belong to. And Jesus' message was, um, was scandalous in his day. It wasn't scandalous to everybody. I mean, the people he, he was coming and preaching to, the people that knew that they needed a Savior, the people that knew they needed healing, I mean, they were just flocking around Jesus, hanging on every word. But there was a, another group of people. They were the religious leaders of the day. They're, they're called the Pharisees. They're these group of characters that we run into when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in those eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life in the New Testament in your Bible. Um, it's this group of people that were, that were scandalized by Jesus. They were frustrated at Jesus for a couple of reasons. One, because of the message he was proclaiming. He was saying, I'm, I'm God. I'm, I'm the Messiah, come, and they just couldn't get on board with that. It was so hard for them. But the other thing that was scandalizing them, that they thought so offensive, it was the kind of people that Jesus was calling uh, to himself. The people that Jesus said, you belong, you belong, you belong. It was these diverse, kind of like ragamuffin group of people that Jesus called to himself that scandalized the Pharisees. They looked at Jesus and they said, if he really is who he says he is, which we don't even buy, but if he is who he says he is, then one of the ways that we know that he can't be is because he's calling all the wrong people in their mind. In their eyes, Jesus is calling all the wrong people to belong to him. And we're sort of in between uh, as a church. We spent the last couple of weeks, we talked about the Bible and why we can trust it. And next week, we're starting something brand new, uh, going in a new, different direction. Don't miss next week. It's kind of like the intro to where we're going to be. We're going to be in the sermon series. It's going to take us all the way to till Easter. There's a bunch of small groups that are going to be starting to gather and just kind of talking about the sermons and, and, uh, and growing together. Um, but we're sort of in this in-between week where I just felt like um, this passage of Scripture from Matthew chapter 9 is, is for us. It's, it's for me. I've been coming back to this passage for a while and I've been seeing some new things and I feel like it's got something good for us as a community as far as um, what does belonging look like at Westside? Who, who belongs here? How do we define belonging? Um, it's important questions that I feel like this passage really helps us with and uh, so that's why we're looking at it today. I want to introduce you to a guy named Paul Hebert. Um, if we get that picture up there, that's Paul Hebert. He, he's not alive anymore. He, some of you can't see, sorry. But he died in 2007. Um, he was really smart. You know that he was really smart when you take a portrait with an encyclopedia, all right? That's how you know. He's like pretty geeky. Um, but Paul Hebert was brilliant. Uh, you, you probably never heard of Paul before, but um, Paul grew up in India in this small missionary community. And he's grateful for the way he grew up. But as he got older, he, he went and got degrees in mathematics and physics and, uh, and then he went on to get some more like uh, advanced degrees in, in uh, 
you know, in, in anthropology, and, you know, he was, he was uh, in, in missiology, and um, has a really, really keen missionary mind, and he started sort of reflect back on the, the environment that he grew up in, this kind of small missionary group in India, and what he recalled was that this group of, of Christians in India was, uh, was kind of a closed-in group, there was some like rigid sort of dividing walls around them, not literal walls, but you know, like sort of like between them and the people they were trying to reach. And he's grateful for the way he grew up. Grow up uh, uh, he's grateful for the community he grew up in, but he's also, as he, as he got older, he started to try to critique it a little bit and try to ask different questions about how can community, Christian community, really, really grow. And so, and so he, because he was kind of a mathematics guy, he came up with this sort of uh, way to define community or the way that people find belonging in communities, and he used some math theory, okay? So this is going to be a little abstract for just like two minutes, but trust me, hang with me, it's going to pay off, all right? It's going to, so just track with me. But here's what he said. He said there's two sort of main ways that people find belonging. One is, called, one is within what's what he called a bounded set, a bounded set. And in a bounded set, you've got all sorts of somethings. And in our case, people, okay, there's um, all sorts of some. These could be numbers, you know, if, you, if we were talking math. But there's all sorts of somethings. And what's hanging them together is a set of certain traits that they all share, some certain attributes that they all have. And sort of what key, and so that determines who's in. And so these are all the sort of people that fit into the group. They're the ones that belong. Now, and then there's some other people who are sort of outside the circle that, that uh, they don't belong. A great way to illustrate this would be perhaps a, uh, a family reunion, okay? Who gets invited to a family reunion? Family, family right? So family gets invited. So you, 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 you've been born into the family. Um, you're married into the family. Um, you know, but, but uh, it's family that gets to come to the family reunion. That's the common trait, right? Um, and there's obviously other people that didn't get invited because, you know, they don't fit into your family in that way. You don't invite your boss to your family reunion. You don't invite your friends. It's just family, okay? So that would be sort of a, a bounded set, okay? And so what Paul Hebert was saying is that there are lots of Christian communities that form themselves around in, in this same way, that it's a bounded set, meaning there's some... There's some like rules that we live by. There's some, there's some ways that we see the world. We have the same worldview. And so that's what sort of brings us together. And that's who's in the circle. That's who belongs. Now, what I want to say about this is, you know, he didn't have bad things to say about a bounded set. There's some good things about a bounded set idea. Um, one is that it's pretty clear. There's a line involved. And we as humans, we tend to like lines because it's clearer for us. Um, but, um, and then another thing that isn't bad is there are like certain things that in scripture, things that Jesus taught that as Christ followers, we, we, we want to live by those things. There's some standards, the, the body of Christ, you know, the kingdom of God isn't standardless, you know, I mean, it's not void of, 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 you know, some, some important things, ways that God wants us to see ourselves in the world and behaviors that he wants us to, to have a part of our lives. Those are a part of following Jesus. Um, so there are some, there, there perhaps is a line, but here's where Paul Hebert said, this is the, this is, here's the danger to a centered, or, or to a, a bounded set. The danger to a bounded set is that we as human beings have a tendency to, as time goes on, make this line a little bit thicker and a little bit thicker, and a little bit thicker. We sort of add to some things, and we add to some things, and we add to some things, and then it becomes a little bit thicker, a little bit wider, a little bit harder. 
little bit harder to sort of get in. There's, there's more and more things that you got to do in order for you to belong. You, you tracking with me? Um, so, for instance, for instance, this is just some examples, but for instance, um, in some European Christian communities, um, for if you were to dr- have like a, a nice uh, glass of scotch, not just get drunk, not, not, we're not talking about getting drunk, we're talking about just enjoying a glass of scotch, um, that that wouldn't be a determining factor of whether you are in or you're out, okay? In some American Christian communities, that would be a deter- that might be a determining factor in some communities whether you belong or whether you don't belong. Or what about this? What about church clothing? Church clothes. Who here is wearing church clothes? Anybody? Some of you are like, well, I'm wearing some kind of clothes. <laughs> it's a weird question, right? We're just glad that all of you are just wearing clothes, right? Um, in our church context, we, we don't have like church clothes, you know, like we just wear clothes right, to church. Now there's some Christian communities where if you don't, if you're not wearing the same kind of, cl- the, the right kind of clothes, if you're not wearing the right kind of church clothes, then, then you, you, it's obvious that you don't belong. Do you see how that works? And so usually we add to this line based on our, based on our c- current culture, based on our current um, context and history, um, we just sort of add some things, and then it makes the wine big, the, the line bigger, and then people know. The, the, I guess what I'm trying to say is, it's even more clear of who's in and who's out. It makes the outsiders know that they're outsiders. It makes the insiders know that they're insiders. Does that make sense? Now, Paul Heber reflected on this, and he said, "This is a little bit like the the, the, the church community that I grew up in." It seemed like, it's, it's, to him, it seemed like there was a different way, a different sort of way to shape community. And so the other way um, that, that he came up with ooh, is, is called a centered set. It's a centered set. And what's different about this is that a centered set has one clear, very clear center. In our context, it would be, it would be Jesus Christ. But there's a clear center. And you have all these sort of people that are in relation to the center. Some might be close. Some might be far away. But the advantage of thinking about belonging in terms of a centered set rather than a bounded set is this. In a bounded set, ooh, that's wild. should I go this way? Oh, that's better. In a bounded set, you're not taking into account that that we're not static. Human beings aren't static. We, we move. We move. And a centered set takes that into account because we have a center, but people might be either going towards the center or people might be going away from the center. But everyone, no matter where they are, is, is either, either moving closer or, or away. Is that, do you see that? And so, in a way, in this model, in this model, um, someone who is close to the center and someone for, see, if you just looked at it and didn't keep, take into account movement, you would assume that this person is, is, belongs because they're closer to the center, but this person doesn't belong because they're so far away from the center. But in reality, this person is moving towards the center. Maybe they belong in a way that this person who is close doesn't belong because they're, they're moving away. Are you, are you tracking with me? So there's movement that's taking place. And so a, a way to describe maybe this, this sort of a centered set would be, um, you know, uh, like playing a musical instrument. Who here plays a musical instrument? Don't be shy. You raise your hand. You play a musical instrument. 
Okay, so we got some people that play music instruments. Now, here's the same, for all you same people that raise your hand, put your hands up. Okay, put your hands up. I want to see your hands. You play music. Now, do you consider, now keep your hand up if you consider yourself a musician. It's a different question, right? Or you're like, oh, I'm not sure. We'll be the judge of that. All right, Dan. Um, it's a different question, right? Because this question, you know, do you play a musical instrument? Like that's sort of like you're in, you're out, you either play, you don't. But are you a musician? Now this is a, this is a more complicated question because w what makes a musician? Um, you know, uh, do you, you might not be that good of a musician, but maybe you just picked up the guitar and you love it and you play constantly and you're getting better and you're getting better and you're getting better. Are, are you a musician? I mean, we could make some lines. We could say that a real musician actual, actually plays gigs. Maybe you do lessons. Maybe you have to get paid for it. But if we made sort of that structure around what a musician was, then probably we'd be missing out on, we'd be not classifying some people correctly because there's some people out there that wouldn't fit into that category, but they are musicians. But, you know, think about it this way. Maybe you, maybe, uh, you just started playing guitar, you're not that good, but you're... You're practicing, you're getting better, you're on the trajectory. But maybe you were here, maybe you were once good, maybe you were in a band in your 20s and now you're living off the fumes in your 50s, you know? Maybe you haven't picked up the guitar in forever. You used to be good, but you don't play. And so are you still a musician? You, you might still be better player technically than this person is. But do you see you, you, you're, you're drifting away from the center? And... So here's what Paul Hebert was trying to say with, with these models is, see, the, the bounded set, it makes some sense. It makes some sense. That was the one on the other side. It makes some sense, but, and what's nice is that it's clear. What's nice is that there's a line involved. But there's something about this that rings more true about how belonging really takes place. The challenge to this is that it's a little bit more messy. It's a little bit more complicated and, this, and what Paul Hebert was saying is that he feels like when Jesus is walking around calling and beckoning people to join his community, to, to belong to him, that he's doing, he's taking into account something that looks more like a centered set than a bounded set. And what you'll see is that messiness ensues. It's not, it's not crystal clear. It's, it's a little bit complicated. But Jesus is okay weighing, or just weighing into the complication in order to create a new kind of people in order to create a new way of belonging. Th let's look at the story, okay? Now that you've seen the bounded set and the centered set stuff, now let's look at the story. Let's come back to it. This is Matthew chapter 9. Here's what happens. Jesus is walking around and he comes up to this tax collector, Matthew. Here's what he says. Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus went from on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. It just seems so cold turkey. Like it's just, I mean, you feel like there, maybe there's some backstory we don't know. Have they met before? I mean, we're, we're not told that. But Jesus approaches somebody who is seemingly on the, on the edge of belonging. Like past the bounds of belonging in that culture. And Jesus says, follow me. And there's something already going on in Matthew. There's something happening where he says, yes. And he follows. That's incredible to me. It's incredible. This is just amazing. Um, uh, what's, what's Matthew's profession? It's not a trick question. What's Matthew's job? 
He's a tax collector. You've been around church a while. You probably heard a pastor talk about tax collectors in that, in that culture. But let's just give us all a reminder. Tax collectors in, in that day were despised people. They were despised people. Matthew is a Jewish man. Okay, now this is the same Matthew that we're talking about that wrote the Gospel of Matthew. We're reading his Gospel right now. He's the same guy with his name inside your Bible in the New Testament. This is the same guy. And he is a Jewish man and he's a tax collector. What does that mean? Well, it means that every time a Jewish person walks by and sees Matthew, they are reminded of everything that's wrong with the world. They're reminded of these, these Roman invaders that have come in and taken over their country. They're reminded of all the taxes that they have to pay. See, the Romans, they brought some good things. The Romans brought some, brought some aqueducts. The, the Romans brought some roads. They brought some good things. But the reason that they were able to do all those things is because the tax system they created was bone-crushing. It was such a heavy weight to bear. People had to pay so much taxes and the Romans weren't dumb. The Romans are smart. They know better than to just like take a foreigner, like one of their own, and send them over to Palestine or whatever. They don't know the language. They don't know the culture. They know better than to send one of their own to rule because then that person's not going to be able to relate to the people. So this is what they would do. They would take, um, take people who already lived there. They would take Jewish people, and then they would just pay them a ton of money to basically become traitors and then make them puppet rulers and they would rule areas based on, you know, by paying people who were locals. They were just smart like that. They knew that that was how they would be able to keep their boot on people for longer. And that's why the Roman Empire lasted as long as it did. And so Matthew is, is a paid traitor to his people. And there he is collecting taxes for this oppressive government. And what also came with this profession was, it was an element of swarminess. Because, because not only, so here's what, here's what uh, Matthew could do. If there's some guys coming up from the lake and they just bought a hundred fish, um, Matthew gets to walk up to him. You know, you know who Matthew is? Matthew is mafia. That's who Matthew is. He's the mafia. The guys are walking up from the lake and he's like, oh, what you got there? I see you got some fish. Uh, I'm going to take uh, Caesar and he wants his fish. You got to give Caesar his cut. You know, so he, he takes Caesar's cut. But you know what else he does? Because he's got all this power and he can do what he wants, he's like, oh, also, here, okay, here's my finder's fee. Um, I'm going to have to touch some of this fish, so here's my hand-washing fee. Um, you know, here's like this extra fee that, you know, is in the fine print that you didn't know about. He just gets to take a whole bunch of stuff off the top. He is despised. It's just a corrupt system. It is not good. People are probably bribing him because, you know, they, don't, they want him to look the other way when, they see, when he, he sees them carrying up their fish. So there's probably tons of bribes involved, people just paying him on the side. Have you ever been in a country where there's tons of bribes going on, just like there's corruption? Um, it's like, it's freaky. I was in Belarus one time on a mission trip, and we, got, we were driving someplace, and we got pulled over. And, uh, and I was scared to death, you know, so scared. But we had Yuri, who was Belarusian, with us. And Yuri was like, no problem, I'll go talk to them. You know, so he like, he gets out and we see them talking with the police officers and they're like, you know, talking. And then like, you see him like, like this and like shake the hand. And then like, then they pulled off and he gets back in the car. He's like, it's all good. We drive. I was like, oh my gosh, we're bribing people. This is freaky. Like, this is not cool. You know, it's just this corrupt, corrupt thing that's happening. And Matthew's right dead center in the middle of it. And here comes Jesus and he walks up to Matthew's tax collecting table and he says I want you Matthew 
No wonder the Pharisees were scandalized by this. Jesus is coming up to a guy who's like way out on the fringe and saying, I want you to belong. What Jesus is doing here is he's, he's starting to redefine what it looks like to belong in his family. And it has less to do with, with lines and it has more to do with, with what's happening in people's hearts that he's pursuing. And this is where the picture breaks down because, not, because in a centered set, the center stays in the same place. But in, in our context, Jesus isn't, isn't static. He's moving too. Jesus is on the move. Jesus is coming to Matthew in his tax collector's booth. He's, he's reaching out to him. Matthew, come. And Matthew responds. It's incredible. You know what else is incredible? See, Jesus is... Jesus is fantastic. He's so, everything he does is intentional. There's nothing that he does that, isn't, that, that, that is unintentional. Jesus picks 12, 12 guys to be his 12 disciples. He does that intentionally because there's, the, 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 there's these 10 or 12 tribes of Israel and Jesus is making a statement. I'm creating a new kind of people. I'm creating something new here. And just in a few verses after this verse that we read where Jesus interacts with Matthew, we have a list. This is Matthew chapter 10. I want you to look at it. Matthew chapter 10. Here's a list of the 12 disciples that Jesus picks. The, these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter. And then his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And then we have Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas. And then we have Matthew, the tax collector. We just read about him. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, there's, what's interesting about this list is there's three people that get a little bit extra information about their pasts. A little bit extra information about who they are. And I highlighted them in yellow for you. One is Matthew, the tax collector. We're, we're, we're being told specifically in this little passage, remember, he's a tax collector. And then we get to Simon the Zealot. We don't know much about Simon the Zealot, but um, we don't use the word zealot a lot. But the way that we use the word zealot today is pretty much the same way that they used the word zealot back then. What's a zealot in our, in our, in our context? It's, right, it's somebody who's, who's like a fanatic, you know. Or it's somebody who's like, um, you know, just like so passionate about something that, they're just, that their action is into it, you know. They're zealous. They're a zealot. And Simon, and what was happening in this day and age is there was this movement that was taking place in Jesus' day with this group of people called the Zealots. They were committed to the Torah. They were committed to, to Jewish law. They were, they were, they were profoundly Jewish, um, connected to that, to that ancient story. But also, also, they were violent. Also, they were absolutely committed to driving the Romans out and ready to spill Roman blood at a, at a moment's notice. These Zealots were hardcore. They were, they, were, they were Jewish people with swords, ready to drive out the Romans. And just a few decades after Jesus dies and rises again, this group of zealots, they actually, it becomes this full-blown guerrilla war where they fight against the Romans. And just picture, picture Robin Hood, all right, minus the tights, all right? Picture Robin Hood, and what they do is they go and they rob the rich to, steal, to, to feed the poor. That's what these zealots are doing. This is who Simon was before Jesus called him. Now listen, what people in this small group of Jesus, Jesus do, you do you think might have a really difficult time getting along? You've got Simon, who is so opposed to the occupation of Rome and so opposed to people who are on their side that he's ready to spill blood. 
And then here you have Matthew, the traitor, the tax collector, the one who's in cahoots with Rome. Do you think it's unintentional that Jesus picks two guys who are on the opposite ends of the spectrum and says, I want you on my team? It's absolutely intentional. Jesus is doing something here. These guys are so different. But in Jesus' community, in Jesus' family, because what he does, how he transforms us, it's new. They're they're, they're new people, and their differences pale in comparison to the unity that they have in Jesus. Who's the third one? The third name up there in that list of 12 disciples? Judas. Now, if there's anybody who gives us a clear picture of perhaps a centered set is Judas. Because picture Judas. Judas is as close to the center as you could be. Judas is as close to Jesus as you could be. Jesus is, Judas is there with Jesus every step of the way. He is one of the inner 12. And yet, guess what we find out? That his heart never belonged to him. It's kind of a chilling picture of, of realizing that I can be so close but yet my heart be so far away. And that belonging doesn't come by everyone sort of with the same traits huddling, you know, huddling together. But belonging happens when I respond to Jesus' call. He says, I want you. I want you. I want you to follow me. And when we respond to Jesus that way, then now suddenly, no matter what our past was, no matter what our history is, that suddenly we belong. We belong. Jesus is doing something new here. That's why it was so scandalous. And it's, and it's complicated. It's kind of messy, the kind of community Jesus is creating. And we see it happening here in the text. Can we just read on a little bit more? We read it already, but listen, here's what happens. So he says, follow me, Matthew. And so Matthew follows. And then in verse, uh, sorry, and then in uh, verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, um, while Je- Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Uh, Jesus goes to Matthew's house. In our culture today, it's sort of a, a, a it sort of speaks to belonging when you have people over for dinner. You know, it, it says that you're willing to associate with someone when you have a meal with someone. In Jesus's day, it was like that times twenty. Who you ate with meant huge things to say about who you were willing to associate with and who you were willing to align yourself with. And here is Jesus at Matthew's house having a meal. Now remember, nobody likes Matthew. And so his only friends are other tax collectors, right? This is bad. Talk about having, you know, like, I got friends in. Okay, thanks, Westside Choir. I was waiting for you to, to, uh, to get in there. Yeah, he's got, he's got friends in low places. I mean, this is the lowest of the low. And here's Jesus. Jesus is having a meal with them. That's incredible. You know what's incredible about this? About, about Jesus having this meal? Is everyone knew Jesus. Everyone heard stories about Jesus. Everyone knew exactly what Jesus was preaching. Everyone there knew that Jesus would not, would not approve of their choices about what they do for their profession. They knew that Jesus would disagree with things going on in their life, and yet they still want to hang around Jesus. 
How incredible is that? Like, like when does that happen in our culture? You know? When does that happen? It rarely happens in our culture. Because we're so divided, and if like you disagree with me, then I don't know if we, you know, I don't know if we can hang out. But what's happening is Jesus is doing something new here. And these people who know that Jesus would disapprove, they want to be with Jesus. There's something about Jesus' grace. There's something about his character. There's something about his, about his demeanor. There's something about his, about his life that he's giving. There's something about his truthfulness and his integrity and his generosity. There's something about Jesus that he has this thing where they just wanted to be with him. And it made the Pharisees furious, so angry. And so they, they come to, so here's what happens. Verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's funny how they talk to the disciples and not Jesus, right? They're like, we don't want to talk to that guy because he will own us. We'll talk to the disciples. And so they talk to the disciples and then look what happens. Verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus said, and I love that Jesus is like, you're talking to them, you're talking to me, all right? Uh, And Jesus just interjects and here's what he says. He says, "Um, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. Not sacrifice. He's quoting from the Old Testament book of Hosea. He says, I desire, I desire a transformed heart, not just performed sort of exterior religious practices and language. Because that's not what I'm after. He goes, I want, I'm calling people, I'm calling for transformed hearts, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And what Jesus is talking about is he's up to this, it seems to me. It seems to me like Jesus is saying, hey, you could be here. You could be really close to the center. You could be in church a lot. You could be, you know, giving money generously. You could be on a team here. You could be on the worship team up here. You could be, you could be really involved. And you might seem like it's close. But if, you, if your heart doesn't know that it knows that it knows that that I can't perform my way into God's good graces, that I can't do it on my own, that I need a rescuer, that I'm broken, and I need a king to come and rescue me. He goes, if, if you could be close, but if, but if that's not the, the, the heartbeat of your heart, then you're really not looking for me. You're really looking for something else to give you hope and a security and identity. You're going to be looking for money. You're going to be looking for sex. You're going to be looking for, for uh, you know, prestige. You're going to be looking for all these other things to give that to you. You might be close. But you don't belong to me. I want you to belong to me. And then Jesus says, look, I didn't call to, to call the, the, the righteous or, you know, the people who, like, to use the doctor illustration, he goes, people who think they're already well, and they don't, then they're not going to know that they need me. But what if somebody out here, they might, not have, they might not have all the right language yet, they might have some behaviors that are, that are messy, but they have something where they say, I need this Jesus. There's something broken in me, and I think he's the one that can fix it. He's the one that can heal me. He goes, when you respond to that call, guess what? You are moving in my direction, and you belong in a way, in a way that somebody close to the middle doesn't. You see? Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's totally redefining what belonging means, how we belong to him. And the story goes on, and um, just real briefly, here's, here's what happens. Then John's disciples came. 
John's disciple. Now, these aren't John, the, the apostle John. This is John the Baptist, different John. But John's, apost- or John's disciples come to him and they say, how is it that, the Fer- that, that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? They're asking this question. And because they've got this idea of a bounded set, they're like, Jesus, we're confused. You're including people onto your team that aren't like us. You're including people on your team that aren't fasting. Look at us. We're insiders because we're fasting. We're doing all the stuff. And so what's the deal? Like you're including these people and it's confusing us. And Jesus is trying to, he's, he's redefining some things for him. He's saying, look, that's, that's, the, that's not the system. I'm not creating that system. And then in pure Jesus fashion, this is why we love him so much, um, they ask him this question, why aren't your, your disciples fasting? And he answers them by talking about weddings, laundry, and winemaking. That's what Jesus does. He makes you work for it. But then he starts answering their questions with, he starts talking about a wedding. And he says, you know, like the bridegroom's here. We're not going to fast during a wedding. He says, I'm doing something new here. And then, he's, and then he uses this illustration of a shirt. And he says, if you take a shirt, your favorite shirt, and it has a hole, and you, uh, you're going to patch it, and you think this wool sweater, you know, from your closet that the same color will work. And so you take that and sew it on, and then you put it through the washer and dryer, and it's just not working. You can't fit those two different kinds of fabric together. And, and he says, with the winemaking, you can't put new wine in old wineskins because when you put new wine, when you're making wine, it, it ferments and there's some gases that are released. And so if you put it in an old sort of brittle wineskin, it's gonna be in there and it's gonna expand and it's gonna burst. And then you're gonna lose the wineskin and the wine. That's a bum deal, Jesus is saying. He says, what he's essentially saying is he's saying, he's saying, you guys have a way of belonging and making people belong in your community, and it looks like this. He says, but I have come to do something new. I'm creating a new kind of belonging, a new kind of people, and it's going to be with me at the center. And what Jesus has done for every single one of us is that he hasn't waited for you to cross any lines. He hasn't waited for you to do the certain thing before then he'll approach your tax collector booth. Jesus has moved into your neighborhood and he has walked up to your booth. He says, listen, I know your past. I know who you are, Matthew. I know what you're up to. I know all the bribes that are in your pocket right now. But I want you to follow me. You belong. I suppose Matthew could have refused, but there was something in his heart where he said, no, I, I'm, I'm going to follow you. And everything changed. Everything changed for Matthew. This is the new kind of family that Jesus is creating. He's calling people. Um, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Practically, here's, here's what I think it means. First is this, personally, personally, for all of us, I think what it means is that we have to take, we ha- you have to be honest. And, you, and it's important that you sort of look at your heart and it's important for you to think about this, that you and I might be really close to the center, but our hearts are looking to other things, moving in other directions. That's a scary thought. That's a scary thing to think about because we like to think of ourselves as in because we say this right stuff and we do the right things and we know, you know, that we know some verses and, you know, all those, and all those things are great. I'm not saying they're not. But belonging depends so much more on these hearts of ours 
Do you want a king to come rescue you or do you not want a king to come and rescue you? And if you want a king to come and rescue you, guess what? You are, you, you belong. You belong. Just like Matthew belonged in that moment. Is that where your heart is this morning? It's a question we all have to ask ourselves. And if it's not, if it's not, if you feel like you're close to the core, but you're kind of going away, guess what? You're going to have all sorts of different opportunities to respond to God's grace. Every single day, every single moment, you have a decision. I have a decision every single day. In this moment, in this decision, in my family, in my marriage right now, as a parent, at my job, how I'm going to spend my money, and all the different things that we have to make decisions on, we get to decide, am, am I going to move towards Jesus with these things? Am I going to, is my heart going to move towards him? Or... Am I looking for other things? Personally, we have to answer that question. And then, um, corporately, we have to ask, what does this look like for us as a church? Who belongs here? We could make some rules and regulations and draw some lines. Or we could create a space where we're all coming towards Jesus. We're responding to his call. And you know what it's going to look like? It's going to look a little messy. It means that there's going to be some Simons among us, and it means there's going to be some Matthews among us. <laughs> there's going to be some of us that fall on this end of the political spectrum and this end of the political spectrum. It means that we're going to be a group of people where you have this opinion about this and this opinion about this. It means we're going to be a people with all sorts of pasts, all sorts of colorful pasts. And yet what brings us together, what brings us together is that we are responding to Jesus' call. That despite our faults, despite our pride, despite our history, that he loves us and he's called us to him. That's what creates a community.